responsibility to stand here and shepherd the flock that your son has purchased with his own blood. And to do so without compulsion or desire for gain. But because I will stand in front of you and give an account as an under-shepherd. And so help me to be a good steward of your people and your word and this calling. Grant grace to us today that we may have the joy we speak of and sing of and read of that is found in Christ alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As um, I've been out, the Lord has working in my heart many things. One of those things was some time in the book of Philippians. And as a result, what I would like to do between now and Christmas is walk through that book with you and let us together as a congregation seek the kind of joy that the Apostle Paul is talking about in the book of Philippians and has in the book of Philippians. My goal today in sharing with you from the book of Acts is to introduce you to that joy. And Wendy did such an outstanding job laying that out with this video and her explanation of uh, these, uh, these joys that, uh, that we have in Christ. And so I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful that God is letting me taste of that joy somewhat in this station and journey in life that I'm in right now. And so what I wanted to do today is introduce you to that joy with the end that you would walk away today with two things in mind. And I'll I'll say these again at the end. One is, I want you to walk out having looked at Paul and Silas, and I want you to say, I really want that. I really want the kind of joy that they had and demonstrated in such turmoil and affliction. I really want that. And and the second thing is that you want everybody to have that joy. So that you become zealously evangelistic, as Paul and Silas were with their joy, so that you not only want to have it, but that you want to, to share it. And so we're going to look at that joy today and we're going to talk about the presence of joy in the life of Paul and Silas and in our lives in the life of the church. So join me in Acts chapter 16. Very often the source of our joy is revealed as much in our complaints as in our praises. Our complaints often and our anxieties often and our angers often rise out of our joys and our wrong joys being threatened. In fact, I have found it to be sort of normal to hear more talk inside the church 
of a bad call in a college football game than in a murder that happened in our neighboring city. Now, something's wrong when the church is more affected by a referee's flag than the death of someone made in the image of God. You see, the death of someone made in the image of God probably is not threatening our joy, but our football team losing probably is. Because our joys are misplaced. And the result is is that we often find ourselves complaining about things that threaten our joys because our joys are located in the wrong place or the right kind of joy that we should have had has been turned into the wrong kind of joy that we shouldn't have. And so as we analyze joy, we need to understand that the pursuit of joy is what drives most of our thinking, most of our doing, most of our pondering, most of our behavior and our activity. We're looking for joy. Some people will call it happiness. I, I think joy is a better word, and down the road we'll explain why it's a better word and why in the Scriptures that word is used instead of happiness. And so let's come into the study with three things in mind, and they're kind of a heading with little bullet points there at the top. And Lynn, I thank you for helping me get all this out this morning. So let's start with that first one. Christian joy is related to faith. Now, I will tell you that's true pretty much of all joy. It's related to faith because when we pursue something looking for joy, it's because we have faith that that thing can deliver joy to us. When we go after something, when we pursue something, we often pursue it as a matter of faith because we believe it can deliver to us a kind of what we might call happiness or what we might call satisfaction that the Bible and that Jesus and that the Apostle Paul call joy. And so Christian joy particularly, but I believe all joys are related to the belief that something can deliver what we're looking for, what we're seeking. It drives us often to how we spend money. It drives us often to how we pursue relationships. It pulls us into addictions. It causes us all kinds of turmoil in our life because sometimes our joy is sought in sinful ways. And so when we talk about joy, we're talking about a fundamental human pursuit so fundamental that when our founders of our country were writing documents to describe things that humans ought to have the right to, one of those things that they described as a hallmark of humanity was the pursuit of happiness. And so it's not an unusual thing to pursue happiness, to pursue joy. In fact, I think it's fundamental to humanity. Our problem is is where and how we seek it. 
And so the Apostle Paul begins to show us a contrast in his life. We're going to flesh that out really well in the book of Philippians. That contrast is found in chapter 3. But we're going to see a little bit of it today as Paul begins to feel the pressure and the sort of the rebuke of the devil as he carries out gospel ministry. And Paul and Silas are known for having the presence of joy. Second, Christian joy is related to fruit. It is a fruit of the Spirit, a component of that fruit. It's not a separate fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is one entity with lots of dynamics. It's not fruits of the Spirit. It's fruit of the Spirit. If you described grapes, you could describe grapes with lots of different descriptions from the skin of the grape to the heart of the grape to the seed of the grape to the flavor of the grape to the texture of the grape to the color of the grape to, to all you could describe it. Well, that's how the fruit of the Spirit is. It's one fruit with many dimensions to it. And the second of the dimensions mentioned in Galatians 5 is joy. And so there is this fruit of abiding in Christ. When you read John 15, you hear Jesus talking about abiding and bearing fruit. And at the end of that first section, He says, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So the kind of joy that we're talking about actually comes from abiding in Jesus because it's part of His nature. And it's His nature living in us to have this joy. That's what was making Paul and Silas so different. It was not a situational or circumstantial joy. It was something living, someone living in them, providing them something that was irrelevant to their circumstance. And so, third, Christian joy is related to the future. All of the fullness of joy promised to us is tied to some consummation of joy in the future. And it's often referred to kind of like a mom giving birth. And you hear this on several different occasions. You hear it in the Old Testament. You hear Jesus using the description, Paul using the description. You hear it in several places in the Bible where you have a, a mom who is in the, the, the pain of giving birth and then you hear of the joy that is afterward when the mom holds the child. And that, that joy is a culmination of a hope and an experience that was not in and of itself all that joyful. But its culmination is a joy that exceeds the event. And so, Christian joy is related to the future. We'll flesh that out later too. So, Let's see how Paul does this. Number one, the presence of joy gives security. One of the things that I have found is that joy, Christ's joy, Jesus' joy in us, begins to detach us from seeking circumstantial joy. In other words, it is something that so abides in us that we do not have to gather it from the things around us. We have it in such a way that it is no longer a part of our environment or a part of our interaction. 
But it is something so deep and so abiding that our interaction and our environment are not the cause of it, but they become the receiver of it. So that it's like Jesus said in John, He said that welling up within us would flow rivers of living water forth from us. So that there's a kind of joy that is not sourced in my circumstance, it is not sourced in my surroundings, it's not sourced in my experiences, but actually is someone who abides in me, who is so limitless and eternal that he has the ability to provide a joy that is unrelated to my circumstances, so that my joy not only is not taken from my circumstances, it's the opposite. It is given to my circumstances. That's very different. And that's what's happening in the book of Acts. Here's two guys who have joy irrelevant to their circumstance, and it gives a certain security. Now, I wanted to note one matter of security here and speak to it, if you look back a little bit before Andrew's reading, you will see in verse 16, it says, And it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, remember that the we passages are the passages that include a certain man who's writing the book, whose name is Luke. And so the we passages are Luke describing the things he encountered with them. And it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a certain slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Now you might think that this free press was something that Paul would be glad to have. But it's the opposite. Look at what happens. And she continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. Now, why would this be a matter of security? Here's why. The church does not need the world or the spokespersons for the devil to give us credibility. If you could extrapolate that into politics right now, you may be helped. I have never seen the church so anxious in all my life. It's as if somehow in November that our existence is at stake. My brothers and sisters, we lived through Domitian. We lived through Nero. We lived through the stakes. We lived through the lions. Do not think we're not going to live through what's coming. Even if our blood is shed, the church, the gates of hell itself, will not prevail against the church. And I think the church needs to check herself right now about how much we're dependent on something outside of God and the Gospel to make us feel secure. We need to check ourselves on Facebook and Twitter in our conversations with each other and with our neighbors. Because no matter what happens in November, 
My king is on his throne. And he is not shaken. And Psalm 2 says, When the rulers gather against the Lord and his anointed, he laughs. Why? Because his joy is not situational. And so, we do not need Satan's spokespersons to protect or promote the church. We do not need the world to give us leeway. It is great to live in religious liberty, and we should seek it not just for Christians, but for all. But at the same time, some of the greatest growth in the history of the church was when liberty was at its least. And this is an example in Acts. It doesn't mean we shouldn't seek justice, and we're going to that, so hang on. Don't think that I'm somehow some kind of pacifist. (laughs) I am not. But I want us to see how this joy works us out. Okay. So they, they, they said, we don't need Satan's spokesperson. We don't need the world to promote us. And so Paul cast the Spirit out. Even though the Spirit was saying something that was true, Satan is never at work to serve the church. So even if he sounds good on the surface, he has something brewing under that is for your ill, not for your good. Number two, the presence of joy is sustaining. This is one of the great lessons I think we'll see in Philippians and I hope we'll experience as the people of God. It is sustaining Paul and Silas and their missionary team are sustained in the midst of incredible turmoil. Paul describes that turmoil in much more detail when you get to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and he kind of lays out all of his beatings and the stoning and the times that he's been whipped and all of those things that he's gone through. And he just describes a sustaining joy. It is not rooted in circumstance. It's not rooting in the surroundings. It's not rooted in the situation that he finds himself. It is somewhere internalized as a person, Christ himself, by the Holy Spirit, indwelling him to have joy that Paul will say, inexpressible. So it is sustaining. And that's one of the things that I'm hoping... God will teach us over these next months that there will be kind of a sustaining joy in us that no matter what develops in the future, that the church will rejoice in Christ and that will bring some things. Here's one of them. Number three. The presence of joy overflows from the heart into the mouth. In Luke 6.45, Jesus said that the mouth speaks out of the overflow of the heart. So, if you want to know what's going on in your heart, listen to your mouth. That's all you got to do. When Lainey was born, something happened to me that really harmed me and really helped me. Let me tell you what happened. My niece showed up, Kama, and she brought a video camera. And so she started videoing all of the interactions of our family. And then she started playing them back. 
And I started watching myself. And I hated what I saw. It hurt me so much, I didn't want to see any of it. But it helped me. Because I realized something was going on in here that was vomiting out right here. And it needed to be changed. What you say with your lips is simply a reflection of what's in your heart. That's what Jesus said. And so the reason that Paul and Silas are praying and praising and singing is because that's what abides in their hearts. You squeeze a lemon, you get a lemon. You squeeze the believer who is filled with Jesus and what comes out is the joy of Christ. Not perfect. That's not the point here. Genuine. And so Paul, look at what's happened. It says, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. These guys are bleeding. They've been caned. Their skin has been ripped. Their flesh is torn. The blood is oozing down their shoulders and back and their backside and the backs of their legs because that's how this whole process worked. They would strip them down and publicly humiliate them. And then everything they could locate from the neck to the top of the knees, they would smack it and split it open. And so Paul is sitting there with the blood oozing out of his body and Silas. And what are they doing? Something supernatural. Something that every one of us should sit here today and say, that's what I want. That's what I want. I want something so powerful, someone so sweet living in me that at my most difficult moment, He comes out of my mouth in joy, in prayer, in praise, in song. Can't you imagine that this jail was kind of an ironic scene? You've got prisoners who probably had some reason that they deserved to be there. Maybe some others who had been unjustly treated as Paul and Silas had. You've got Paul and Silas who definitely have been unjustly treated, unjustly beaten, no trial, breaking of Roman law. And there they are bleeding and they're singing. And everybody is doing what? They're listening. When you have a joy, that transcends your circumstance, you will get an audience. You don't have to go looking for it. You don't have to go hunting it. You don't have to go seeking it. When your joy begins to well up out of your heart and flow out of your mouth, that is so necessarily different than the circumstance, you will get an audience because folks will say, what's up with them? And so it says the prisoners were listening to them. Paul and Silas didn't have to go over to the bars and say, guys, I have this four-point way of telling you about Jesus. Let me get my Evangel cube out and start flipping through it. 
I'm not against evangelists, but listen. When you have supernatural joy, people will be, next point, number four, attracted. The presence of joy is attractive. It's not just attractive, it's seriously attractive. How attractive is it? Well, they're singing, they're praising, they're praying. Earthquake comes. Now, the mission team got to experience their first earthquake this past year when we went to Ecuador. I told them all along, I said, they're having these little earthquakes every day and probably going to see one. We didn't know we'd have a 5.9 and a 6.2 earthquake. Pretty strong, and uh, it was kind of a little unnerving. We saw Satchila really scared, and it's just a, just a really kind of scary thing going on there. Well, this is one so strong that it pulls prison door open, prison doors open and breaks chains off of people. It's a big earthquake. And that earthquake rattles everything. Just Everybody's chains fall off. But here's the crazy thing. How attractive is the joy? The people were more interested in running to Paul than running out the door. Don't you think this through? The whole jail has just opened. All the chains have just fell off. You are free! And you run to the singer. You run to the praiser. How do we know that? Because when the guy got ready to kill himself, what did Paul say? Don't kill yourself. We are all here. How do you know? Because that's where they came. Paul was talking to them. They were drawn to Him. They weren't drawn out the door. They could have gone. Every one of them. But they didn't. There was something so magnetically attractive about a joy that transcends the circumstance and is legit that the people go, we probably ought to go to those guys. I think they're going to be the place of safety. It's attractive. You say, well, we want to to be a church that attracts people. Here it is. It's joy. If this was known as the most fundamentally joyful group of people in Pineville, Alexandria, Ball, Grant Parish, DeVille, wherever you want to call our influence, if we were known as that, That's what our hallmark was, our trademark. They'd come running. Because joy draws. It's attractive. It's beautiful. It's different. And so here, it's attractive and we're all here. And what does the jailer do? He's attracted too. Look at what happens. Verse 27. When the jailer had been roused out of sleep and had seen the prison doors open, he drew a sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm. 
Have you ever thought that one through? Here's a guy that was a part of the unjust system that had incarcerated Paul unjustly, had not taken care of his wounds, had not bandaged him up, had not helped him in any way, had only put him in the inner place, in the stocks, in the chains, in the central lockup. This guy had been no help to Paul at all. And when he drew his sword, Paul didn't just stand by and watch and say, yeah, that's what ought to happen to unjust people. They ought to get what they deserve. Mm -mm. You see, Paul's joy, because it wasn't located in having to have his situation to his advantage, he was freed to actually care about the man who helped cause his situation. This is part of Christian joy. It is the capacity to care about the souls of those who actually bring you harm. Rather than shaking your fist and saying, they ought to get what they deserve. Paul says, do yourself no harm. We're all here. And the guy runs and throws himself at the feet of a beaten and bleeding man and says, oh, brothers, how can I be delivered? What must I do to be saved? And he called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas and he's brought them out and said, what must I do to be saved? It's attractive. There should be such a joy in the church that people start asking some pretty frank questions. How are you navigating this with joy? How are you getting through this with such peace? Why is there something about you that seems not to flow inward from your circumstance, but outward into your circumstance? Why do you always inject in us something so joyful? So, he says, what, what do we do to be saved? Now, number five, the presence of joy is contagious. I've been around people that are they're like joy parasites. They just latch on and suck the joy out of things. That's not any fun. That's so painful to be around people who just seem to drain the joy out of the situation rather than bring the joy to it. But that's not Paul. He's going to bring it in such a way, his joy is so sincere, so real, so palpable, so experienceable, so receivable, that it becomes very contagious. Not only is it attractive, but it's infectious. It's catching. And so these guys, this one particular guy, what must we do to be saved? He gives that great statement that is the key to all joy. Remember I said that joy is always tied to faith? Believe in the Lord Jesus. Here's your joy. You want to know how to sing in prison? How to be free from the circumstance? Here He is. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ.
Here's your joy. And so he, he gives them the one source, the one place. Jesus. He communicates it. Now look what happens. Verse 32, And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very night, that hour of the night, and washed their, his wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all of his household. Look at verse 34. And he brought them into his house and set food before them, having, what? Rejoiced greatly. It's contagious. This joy has leaked out of Paul into the prison. It's leaked out of Silas into the jail. And now it's moved through the jail and into the jailer's heart and now into the jailer's home. And what's going to happen? The jailer is rejoicing because he's received the Lord. Here's his joy. He now knows the joy. It's not a place. It's a person. It's not a location. It's a relationship. It's a relief. Sins are washed away, forgiven, conscience cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, future secured by the hope in heaven. All of these things that Paul rejoices in, now the jailer rejoices. It's become contagious. But something happens next, and I want to close with this and then give you some things to take home. Number six, the presence of joy is evidenced in love for justice. I really want to, and we're going to camp here soon, but I'm just going to take a minute. When we are freed from situational need for our joy and happiness, we are freed to care for the situations of others. When my joy is situational, then I'm obsessed with what's happening to me. But when I'm freed from that, I am freed to care about justice for others. I'm free to care about the sufferings of others. Paul has been released. He's cleared. Everything's good. Look in verse 35. Now, when day came, the chief magistrate sent their policemen saying, Release those men. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The chief magistrates have sent to release you. Now, therefore, come out and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They've beaten us in public without trial, men who are Romans, and have thrown us into prison, and now they're sending us away secretly? What is happening with Paul? Paul's in the clear. His situation's good. Here's what's happening. Paul is free to care about the injustice of others. When we are situationally dependent on our joy, we do not care about the injustice of others unless it affects our joy. We obsess only over the things that affect our personal situation and happiness. But when we are freed from that, we suddenly become sensitive to the fact Paul knows the next guy coming down the street may be treated in this way. And he may not have the joy that Paul has to sustain him. He may become despondent and despair. And so Paul says, do you know what this thing's called? It's called injustice. 
And even though I'm free and I'm good to go and I can walk out scot-free, it actually matters that you do this to human beings. And so let's talk about it. You send them here because we are Roman citizens. We have no trial. And we want this town to be different. Not just for our sakes. We want this town to be different for the sakes of all who live here. This is what Micah 6.8 is about. Oh man, what does the Lord require of you but that you do justice, love, mercy, and walk humbly with your God. When your joy is no longer contingent and dependent upon your situation, you are freed to care about other people. It frees us from self-absorption. It frees us from selfishness. And I believe no place should be a greater voice for social justice than the church. But she has been strangely silent in the matter. We should care how everybody in Pineville is affected. Everybody in Alexandria is affected. Everyone in Louisiana is affected. Everyone in the U.S. is affected. Everyone on the globe is affected by injustice. But I think the reason the church has been so quiet is because we've become victims of circumstantial joy. And we're not a happy lot. We are the Facebook grumblers. And I'm certain that's not drawing anybody here. Unless they want to just come and commiserate with We've become the private conversation grumblers. My brothers and sisters, we ought to infect and inject every situation we're ever in with a transcendent joy that rises above the situation. And that can only come from Jesus. So, here's my close. I think every one of us needs to fess up that we probably don't have the joy that Paul and Silas had in that moment. Just say it. Just be repentant and confess it and say it. I am not there. I'm not. But I want it. I really, really want it. And not only do I want it here, I want it to flow to everybody. I want the joy that Jesus promised in John 15 to fill me and overflow out of my mouth and go out to others. Would you bow with me? I want this joy for you. That was my prayer this morning as I went before the Lord. I want you to have it. I want me to have it. I want us to have it. I want we to be that people. Us. Infecting and contaging others with our joy. But it's not going to come unless we confess that we don't have it. And maybe right now, 
before the Lord, you would join me in saying, Lord, I don't have this joy. It's absent. It's not full. It's not filled. It's not where it ought to be. And, and if I was where Paul was, I would have been just complaining. I wouldn't have been singing. Probably wouldn't have been praying. Certainly wouldn't have been found praising. And so, Lord, I'm the, I'm the one who needs it. So give it to me. I, whatever it is I'm supposed to do. Whatever you are asking of me right now so that I can have that joy. I, that's where I am. Please. But not just for me, Lord. You made me a channel of blessing. A conduit of comfort. You're the one who's called me to bring this joy inexpressible to a world so joyless and filled with so many false joys. And so God, fill me today. Give me that joy. Whatever has to leave for me to get it, I'm ready. Maybe you would come and kneel right here and say, God, I want that joy. Maybe you know somebody who needs it and you've not been giving it and you want to come and pray for them specifically that now you'll be a conduit of it. Jesus said the secret was very simple. It was no secret at all. Jesus said it comes from abiding in Him. That's it. Abide. He said, Pastor Bart, I'm here. I'm new at this first time or really just figuring it out. What do you mean I can have this joy? Here's how. The Bible says your sins are what have separated you from the source of joy. That is God. And until that barrier is removed, you can't have that relationship that gives you joy. And if that is given to us through Jesus who came to earth and lived sinlessly, He is God's Son. And He died as a substitute. And He is now reigning over the heavens and the earth. And He wants to forgive you of your sins and save you. And you could call on Him right now and you could ask Him to save you. You could confess to Him that you know that you're sinful and that you know you need to be forgiven. And you could place your faith that He died for your sins and was raised from the dead. Would you place your faith in Him now? Would you believe Him? Would you stand as God leads you? Would you come?